just bow your heads with me again. God, we rejoice in the fact that you are our salvation. And as, as we just sang a moment ago, we do all these things and, and we know that we're called to obedience and we're called to reverence and we're called to holiness and, and all these things we do and we do them gladly because it's what pleases you and it's what you've called of those who name your son's name and yet not I but Christ who lives in me. And I, I look forward to the day when we get to heaven and, and we're there and we, we meet your son and even then, we bow down and cry, yet not I, but it's through Christ in me. And so I pray this morning that that would guide our thinking and our attitude. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is great to be back with you this morning. Uh, my family and I spent a couple weeks in Indiana uh, where we got to visit with family and friends, and we had a great time. It was a relaxing time. And I often say, and I, and I hope that you believe me, uh, that I genuinely look forward to returning here to this church. Uh, you are a delight to pastor. And one of the things that um, I, I love is I love how intently you listen to God's word you, you take notes, you're, you're writing stuff down about God's word, you engage with me later about God's word. That does not happen at every church. And it's one of the things that attracted me here seven years ago when I came as a candidate. It, it, it's, it's palatable, it's, it's obvious. And, and I just thank you for that. And it's a joy to come back uh, and to serve you again this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to First Peter chapter 5. We are finishing this precious book this morning, and it has been a great book. I, I've loved studying this. We started this book back on the first Sunday of this year, of this calendar year, and so here we are, August 1st, and 22 sermons later in the book of First Peter, uh, and by God's grace, I pray that you are more equipped as an individual, and we are more equipped corporately as a church to handle any persecution that might come our way. So we are going to, uh, by God's grace, finish up this, this morning. What's our plan next? Well, if you read the elders' minutes, you already know what's coming, but we're going to head into the book of Luke next, uh, and so we'll be starting that soon and studying as the words of our Lord as he walked here on earth through the eyes of the physician Luke. So I'm excited about that. You can start reading ahead uh, in there if you want to kind of get a head start. But this book, First Peter, what we're studying this morning, as Ryan mentioned earlier, has been a book about how to endure as a Christian when we face suffering for the faith. How do we endure the onslaught of rebuke and ridiculed that, in fact, we are destined to face if we name the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus promised it would happen. He told us that we would suffer uh, if we follow after him. In fact, before he left earth, in John 15, he said this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. You know, in America, it's relatively easy to be a Christian. I mean, we don't have to give up a lot uh, to be a, a Christian. You can do your thing. You can go to church. And really, as long as you kind of keep your faith to yourself, you know, quiet, in your church, maybe inside the walls of your home, you can go through America pretty easy as a Christian. But if you start talking about your faith and living out your faith in the public square, for example, these students that were up here, if you start living out your faith in school, if you start living out your faith in the workplace, if you start living out your faith in your politics, if you start living out your faith in the face of false teachers, as soon as you do that, Rest assured that even in America, you will face the painful and fiery darts of a world that does not like that message of Jesus Christ. So it's for those things that Peter has been preparing us through this whole book. And and I think the message is timely because whether you're aware of it or not, uh, and I know for those of you that are older in this room, especially if you're probably in your 70s or 80s, you have seen a massive moral change even from 50, 60 years ago when we were going through the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s and even now as we head into the 2000s, uh, if you watch the, the Christian faith now, it is under far greater attack than ever was before. Back in the 40s and 50s, at least there was a, a cultural acceptance and a norm of Christianity. Not anymore. It is the target of, of blatant criticism. So in light of that, I want to finish this book this morning, 1 Peter, in the same tone and note that Peter did. Uh, Peter did. It's a note of encouragement. It's actually a note of, of great hope. Peter, among other things, Peter is a faithful pastor. He had a pastor's heart. He loved his people. And he didn't want to write them this letter about suffering and about uh, the target of Satan without ending the letter with a note of hope to strengthen their faith. And so I want you to follow along as I read the last words of Peter in his first letter to the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to start reading in verse 10 down through the end of the, the book. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever amen by sylvanus a faithful brother as i regard him i have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of god stand firm in it she who is at babylon who is likewise chosen sends you greetings and so does mark my son Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. There is so much packed into these verses. I'm really not even, especially verses 10 and 11, it's kind of hard to even know where to begin and, and how to unpack and how to lay out all that Peter is trying to convey here. 
But at the end of the day, as Peter reflects on trials and persecutions, he understands that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that sustains him. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. That's where he kind of, look at the middle of verse 10. He says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That is really the gospel in a nutshell. Your salvation, if you are a Christian this morning, was all a sovereign act of grace on behalf of God. You didn't deserve it. Peter didn't deserve it. Peter could never get over the fact that he was given it. He just couldn't get, his mind just could not. How did I do, how did I get this? How am I of all people saved? Think about Peter's life for a moment. Peter was a religious man. He was a Jew, uh, to be precise. Peter was just kind of doing life. He was a fisherman. Every day he'd go out on the boat. And I suspect that Peter thought, All was well in his life. He probably went to the tabernacle every weekend. He would listen to the Torah being read and the rabbi would speak. And maybe Peter joined in in a couple hymns, a couple songs there, and then he would just go back to his normal life and go back to fishing. And I suppose that Peter probably, like most Jews of his day, um, tried to keep as many of the Jewish laws as as he could uh, keep, but... I'm sure he probably missed some. And so every year on the Day of Atonement, Peter probably made his trek to the temple to offer sacrifices uh, for the payment of sin. And and I suspect that Peter thought all of that time that all was well between him and God. He was a good Jew, and that's all that it would take, right, to, to get into heaven. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're just kind of going through life. You're doing your thing. You, you, you go to school. You go to work. On the weekends, you go to church. That's what you do. You, you do that. But then the rest of the week, you, you know, maintain pools. You mow a lawn. You, whatever you do. Sundays, you come here. Maybe you sing a couple songs. Endure another sermon. Maybe you get something a little bit there. You say your prayers before you eat lunch. And then off you go kind of on your way. And you think... All is well between you and God. But maybe you're like Peter, and inside, you're full of dead man's bones. Maybe on the inside, like Peter, you're corrupt, and and you've got this stuff going on. On the outside, it looks good. You've got a a veneer of of righteousness, but but on the inside, there's an air of wickedness. That was Peter. Before he knew Christ, and and maybe that's you. Or maybe you're like the Gentiles to whom Peter's writing. Peter's writing to people who weren't even Jewish. They're they're Gentiles coming into the church, and they have pagan backgrounds, and they act like pagans. They gave no thought to God. They had had no sense of God. uh, The Apostle Paul actually gives us at least a partial description of, of these kind of folks in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 9, when he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, 
nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and that's you. Maybe you're here this morning, but you know out there you're sleeping around with whoever it is that you want to sleep with. Or maybe you're out there and you're a thief. Or maybe you're out there and you are like I was and you were a drunkard. I remember uh, in my early 20s, many weekends, just wasting my mind away on alcohol. And you know, that brought so many problems into my life, all the inherent problems uh, that come with, with substance abuse, and, and mine included a stint in the, in the county jailhouse. But what I want you to know is not so much what was happening on the outside, but what was happening on the inside. Because in my heart, there was something going on. And in my heart, what I wanted more than anything else in life was the approval of my peers. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to to think well of me. I wasn't all that athletic. I wasn't all that tall. I'm not all that tall now. I I wasn't all that great, good looking. I, 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 I desperately, I frantically wanted people to like me. And I was very, very shy. And I know you probably find that hard to believe. Uh, But up until I was about 17 years old, I was the proverbial wallflower. I I just didn't talk. I was very, very shy. I rarely spoke in public. I was scared of everybody. But guess what? When I turned 18, I found the bottle. And as I tipped one back, and then another, and then another, guess what happened? All of a sudden, all those inhibitions went away. The padlock that kept my lips sealed released when I drank. And I could just talk, and I could just laugh, and I could just joke, and I could be the life of the party. That's what happened. And I loved it because people wanted to be around me. I had their attention. I thought I had their favorable attention. But you know what? The Bible never lies. And Matthew 12, 34 became a vivid reality in my life when I drank because Matthew 12, 34 says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And guess what was coming out of my mouth as I was doing this? Wickedness, vulgarity, crude joking, And I was gaining friends, but guess what kind of friends I was gaining? The same kind of friends that were doing what I was doing. And we were just on a spiral rotation in our degrading filthiness. And maybe that's you too. And then God stepped in. For me, there was a distinct turning point Uh, One weekend as I was sitting in a jail cell, finishing out my 15-day sentence, and it was though God was asking me, are you going to keep living for yourself, or are you going to live for me? Are you going to keep living for that? Are you going to live for me? And there was this distinct awareness of how far I had drifted from God. And simultaneous to that awareness of how far I had drifted was this 
beauty of Jesus Christ. This attractiveness of the grace and mercy and forgiveness. It was as though Jesus was holding it out saying, do you want this? It's yours. If you will take it, it's yours. And I remember sitting there that weekend and just broken, repenting of my sin, recommitting my life because of the stunning loveliness and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had heard the message of the gospel. I knew the message of the gospel. I knew Jesus died for me. I knew all that. But it was his grace that allowed me to see that day my desperate need of him and my desperate need of the escape, of the penalty, of my sin, and the freedom I could have in Christ. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. And from that point forward, God began a radical change in my life because then I began finding my identity in him. I didn't have to find my identity uh, in alcohol anymore. In fact, that became a thing of my past. I I didn't need that anymore because I I had everything I needed in Christ. He gave me the strength to live and and have my identity and and I could be pleasing to him. I didn't have to please other people. I just had to be pleasing to him. It's that exact same thing that happened to the Apostle Paul as he was going down the road to Damascus. He was wicked. He was a murderer. He was an insolent man. He he hated Christians. And and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus met him right there on the road to Damascus. And there was this sudden awareness on Paul's behalf of how dirty he was and how sinful he was. And he found Christ that day. And he went from being a murderer to being the greatest evangelist to ever walk on the face of the earth. Outside of our Lord, of course. And that same thing happened to Peter. Peter thought he was just, he was doing good. He was a self-righteous Jew. He was, he was doing all that he could. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes up and says, I'm going to take you from being a fisherman of fish to being a fisherman of men. Are you in? Peter found Christ. How does that happen? How did that happen in my life? How did that happen in Peter's life? How did that happen in your life? How did you come to know Christ, and how did you go from living for yourself to living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Well, there's only one answer. It is the grace of God. Only the grace of God. I couldn't see it on my own. Neither could Paul. Neither could Peter. And neither can you. It's Ephesians 2. It's that whole picture of Ephesians 2. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses. We're all sons of disobedience. We all live out of the passions of our flesh. But catch this, Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, and it always starts there, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By what? By grace. You have been saved. Later in that chapter in verse 8, he goes on to say again, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We sing a hymn. I should have had Lynn sing it this morning. I didn't think about it. We sing a hymn here. It goes, Grace, grace, God's grace. Do you know the song? Grace that is greater than 
all my sin. Right? We sing that. We sing about grace. It's all grace. It's grace that rescued your soul as it ran full force toward the gates of hell. And as Peter concludes this letter in chapter 5, verse 10, he cannot get over this message of grace. He talked about it way back in the beginning of his book. Verse 3 of chapter 1, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, mercy and grace coming into play there, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And now if you look down at your Bibles, chapter 5, verse 10, he wraps up the book in, comes back to the same theme, the God of all grace. The thing that blows Peter's mind is that not only did this grace rescue me, save me, cause me to not have the penalty of sin, but this grace also does something else. Look at verse 10. It's, he's been called now to God's eternal glory in Christ. In other words, everything that is Christ is now yours if you are a believer because you are in Christ. Everything, every blessing, every every give, everything that is Christ is yours because you are in Christ. Heaven belongs to Christ, therefore heaven is given to you. Glory belongs to Christ, therefore glory is given to you. Eternal life belongs to Christ, therefore eternal life is given to you. Do you see how this works? And Peter cannot get over that reality. When he deserved hell, he was given heaven and all of the blessings that go with that. So if all of that is true, and as Peter reflects on that grand meta narrative of his life and then he thinks about trials and persecution how does he think about trials and persecution short temporary they hurt they're difficult but peter knows that even the difficulty of a trial may only last how long 80 years, 90 years, well, that seems like a long time. Well, compared to eternity, it's not very long. And Peter says, even the trials I know, and he's been telling us through his book, have been used and are used by God to grow our faith. If you've not read the little book called A Gospel Primer, we have a couple in our library. I would encourage you to read it, A Gospel Primer. Uh, written by a guy named Milton Vincent. I love the book. And here's what he says about trials and, and suffering. I'm quoting now. He says, More than anything else I could ever do, Vincent says, the gospel enables me to embrace my tribulations and thereby position myself to gain full benefit from them. For the gospel, that is the message of Jesus Christ, is the one great permanent circumstance in which I live and move. And every hardship in my life is allowed by God only because it serves his gospel purposes 
in me. The good news about my trials is that God is forcing them. I love this. God is forcing my trials to bow to his gospel purposes and to do good unto me by improving my character and making me more conformed to the image of Christ. See what's happening there? When you and I face trials for our faith, when we face suffering for being a Christian and naming the name of Christ and following the moral code of Christ, the world attacks and they think they're doing great harm. But what they're actually doing, they're playing right in the hands of God. He's taking every bit of that and when they think they're tearing us down, they're actually making us stronger. It's Peter's final conclusion that he wants to leave with us. Because you, believer, have been called to an eternal glory in Christ. And even though you might suffer a little while on this terrestrial ball that we call earth, look what the end of verse 10 says. God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You're going to suffer for a little while. You're going to suffer. But God in his determination to complete what he started in you, and he will never fail, he will personally make all things right someday. And until then, he will establish you in the faith so that you won't apostatize, you won't walk away. He will give you a firmness to endure, and he will give you a resolve that is a a psychological strength to see it through to the end. He will give you all of those things in Christ so that even if you're attacked verbally for your faith, even if you are cast into prison for your faith, or even if you are beaten to death for your faith, you have what it takes in Christ to survive, to remain in him. How can God do that for us? Because of verse 11, Peter says, because to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's a commentator named Tom Schreiner, and he explains verse 11 like this. He said, The God who permits suffering in the lives of his children and even allows the devil to rage at them, think about Job chapter 1 and 2, is the same sovereign God and the God who cares. 1 Peter 5 verse 7. The dominion belongs to him. How long? Forever. And he wields a mighty hand, 1 Peter 5 verse 6, on behalf of his people. Hence... Believers should be full of comfort knowing that they are on the side of victory and celebration. (laughs) I've said before, I don't know what kind of suffering we're going to be called to. I don't know. I don't know as Christians what we're going to face in in the United States. I don't know what Christians around the world are going to face, although many of them are facing much, much worse than we ever are yet here. I don't know what we're going to be called to face. But I do know this. If we hold fast to Christ as he holds fast to us, God cannot be defeated and we will be on the right side of history. 
That, to me, is great promise. And I'm so glad that, that Peter included that. Right here at the end of his book, Peter gives this reason. He, he writes it. I love it. He writes all this stuff, and he, almost like he's answering his own. At the end of verse 11, he says, Amen. It's almost like he's echoing his own sermon. Amen. I'm doing a bit of sanctified speculation, but I kind of envision that Peter finished this letter and, and he's just sort of high on this thought of Christ and he's reflecting on the, the glory of the grace that's been given to him and, and, and the, the brilliance and the beauty of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he just writes, amen. And he starts to fold up the letter and all of a sudden he goes, oh shoot, I was supposed to tell those people hi. And so he unfolds the letter and then he writes verses 12 to 14. It's kind of like as a husband, like, oh, man, my wife told me to pick this up. I, yeah, okay. And so he unfolds the letter. I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but it kind of looks like it. Uh, and he writes verse 12. He says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. That, that guy, Sylvanus, there is the same guy that's called Silas in other parts of the New Testament. He was a close uh, missionary partner of Paul. Uh, he spent time with Peter as well. And apparently Peter is giving this letter to Sylvanus, Silas, to carry to the churches in order for it to be read. And Peter said, listen, I'm writing to you briefly. And five chapters is really brief. He's like, I'm writing to you briefly, but I'm sending this letter in the hands of a faithful brother. And I think Peter anticipated there's probably going to be some questions that will be asked by the churches as they read the letter. Silas was able to answer those questions. He, Peter trusted him to answer those questions. So he's commending Silas to the church to explain any kinds of, uh, of questions they might have. And he, at the end, he just says, keep on, stand firm in the faith. This is the true grace of God. Just stand firm and keep on keeping on. And then he adds verse 13, she who is at Babylon, who's likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Now, some people think that the she there is Peter's wife um, or that it was some prominent lady uh, that they would have known. I, I think actually what the evidence is strong enough to suggest that what Peter is doing there is he's referring to the church back in Rome as the she, the, the church back. It's, it's a broader word than, than a specific individual. Um, and he says, um, she that is back at Babylon. And Babylon was a code word that the New Testament writers would use to describe Rome. Uh, in the Old Testament, Babylon uh, uh, depicted everything that was evil and vile in the Babylonian kingdom. And so in the New Testament, uh, as a code word, they, they would often refer to Rome, which also had wickedness and evil and greed, as Babylon. And so I think what Peter's saying there is the church back in Rome she who is in Babylon is also sending her greetings to you, and so does Mark, my son. Now, Mark was not his biological son. He was his spiritual son. So this is the same John Mark, probably, uh, that accompanied Paul and later Barnabas on some missionary journeys through the Middle East. And finally, Peter gets to verse 14, and he says, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Paul calls it the holy kiss in, in his writings. Uh, and it was a customary greeting in early Christian Christianity uh, and in that part of the country or part of the world uh, where men would greet men and women would greet women by kissing them on the cheek. And you still see that in parts of our world today, especially in Europe. Uh, you see that cultural 
um, form of acceptance and respect and welcoming. Uh, in other places of the world, you see other things. So if you go into Asia, uh, bowing is the uh, is the way that you would show respect and welcoming and, and greeting. In America, it's generally a handshake. Uh, sometimes it's a hug. And so I don't think that uh, Peter is necessarily commanding that we still kiss one another today with a holy kiss, but he's saying you need to greet one another and hold each other in camaraderie, uh, in, in welcoming and res- mutual respect. And finally, Peter ends his letter by saying, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Friend, there's no greater thing in all of the world than to have peace with God and have peace with your fellow man. If you have peace with God, no matter how chaotic and troublesome this life can become, you can have a steady demeanor and you can have a settled joy because Christ has overcome the world and you are in Christ. Let me close with this timeless and encouraging word from our Lord from John 16. Here's what he says. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered to each his own home and you'll leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so hear Peter's final thoughts. If you are a believer this morning, by the grace of God, you have an eternal hope, an eternal glory awaiting for you. And while you may suffer for a little while, you will be restored and established and confirmed because you are in Christ. And Christ has overcome the world. If you don't have that peace this morning, I would love to talk to you about how you can get that peace because I want you to leave here with the greatest peace and the greatest friend of all time, my Lord and yours too, Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. God, thank you for including this book in the canon of Scripture. We need it. Thank you for preparing us how to suffer for the name of Christ. Help, or thank you for grounding us, not in our own strength, in our own fortitude, not that we're called to pick ourselves up by the straps of our own, uh, by our own bootstraps, but thank you that everything is grounded in you. You're the one with the mighty hand. You're the one with the sovereign plan. You're the one with the ability to use even trials for the profit of your children and for your glory. Thank you for including us. I pray that whatever suffering we might face, because we stand for the name of Jesus, that we would face it with a settled joy and an undeterred confidence because we know in whom we live, who is ours. Father, I pray that the message of the gospel would never grow cold to us, that it would over and over again renew us when we deserve hell and we deserve punishment and we deserve to be cast away from your presence forever. You gave us life and you gave us freedom and you adopted us into your son. Thank you for that encouraging thought. Thank you for these precious words. To you be the glory forever and ever.